song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous give him a son, or whether it be Moses as he waited for the Lord to call him to a place of service and then serve the Lord valiantly and diligently for 40 years ministering to the people of God, or whether it's Job who waited patiently for the Lord even as he endured personal uh, trials and struggles and various losses. Uh, so waiting Waiting is something that we see on constant display in the Old Testament. The waiting of what God has uh, from promise to fulfillment, whether it's the overarching promise of salvation or whether it's God's promise to particular people in particular circumstances for particular things. In any event, what we see throughout the Old Testament is God's people constantly in a posture of waiting, knowing what God has promised, trusting what he has promised, and waiting for further manifestations or fulfillments of what God has promised. Now, of course, one of the people that goes on the top of the list in terms of what we have on record for him waiting for the Lord is David, King David. Uh, David is certainly a poster child for waiting. 
Uh, he, among all of the Old Testament saints, not only uh, waits for the Lord in various ways, but he, because he was a poet, uh, wrote, these, wrote these things down and he put some of his experiences of waiting in, in poetry or in song as, as we have them recorded in the book of Psalms. So David is certainly at the top of the list of those who understand what it means to wait for the Lord. We know, for instance, that the time from David's anointing as the king of Israel to the time that he actually ascends to the throne could be anywhere between 10 to 15 years. And in all of this time, he had to wait, even though he had been anointed by the prophet and the priest of God in Samuel, but he had to wait. And so when he says he waits patiently, we see in a sense what we mean by patiently, and we'll unwrap that, that term in a moment, but we see it, it, it uh, in particular with David when it came to dealing with Saul. The Lord had already told him that he would be Saul's replacement, and there, were, there was more than one occasion <coughs> where David had opportunity to forcibly uh, take the life of Saul and claim the, the, the throne that God had appointed to him. But rather, he waited. He waited for the Lord to uh, place him on the throne in his own way and in his own time. But not only did David have to wait some 10 to 15 years before he ascended, ascended to the throne, once he was anointed as king and then he, was, he, was, uh, he ascended to the throne, he had to wait an additional seven years before he could be uh, crowned as king over the entire nation of Israel. Because there were some tribes that, uh, it, uh, in fact, uh, there had been someone else that, that occupied that throne, uh, part of it, uh, when David, uh, at the death of Saul. So uh, he had to wait, and so he understands waiting. On top of that, once David became king, uh, and he was king of the whole territory, even he had to endure a rebellion against his son and then wait patiently because, again, he had to flee his throne and he had to patiently wait for the Lord to calm the rebellion even from his son before he was uh, able to resume his position. So if anyone knew anything about waiting for the Lord, David would certainly be at the top of that list. But what I want to do tonight is, is look at what he says about waiting patiently for the Lord and, and, and before we, uh, there are three things that we want to focus on, but before we do that, I want to look at verse 1. Because in verse 1, uh, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, on the surface, what this, especially when we look at it in contemporary times and in English, when you say that someone waits patiently, we are thinking that they are waiting without any anxieties, without any, you know, that's just calmly waiting, unlike me in the doctor's waiting room. I don't wait patiently. I, I, even as I'm reading and trying to do other things, I get antsy and, 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 and anxious. And so when we think of waiting patiently, what we have in mind is the opposite of waiting patiently. We have impatiently. So to wait patiently we assume is to wait without any disturbance, without any concerns, and just whatever the Lord says. But when we look into the lives of God's people who wait for him and wait patiently for him, 
we see some fretting, we see some anxieties, we see some things that they are not, it's not that they don't trust what God says, but they don't always understand how the Lord is going to deliver what he promises. So there's some, there's some anxiousness that arises. Now the Bible does deal with our anxieties, but the truth of the matter is waiting patiently does not necessarily mean that we are just calm and on easy streets and just waiting for whatever the Lord says and we endure it. That's one of the reasons, even though Abraham waited patiently for the Lord to give him a son, but it seemed to make sense when his wife brought Hagar to him that this is how this is going to, God is going to accomplish his purpose. So the first thing that I want to do is look at what David says in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. And here's what's interesting. The, in, in verse 1, David repeats the same phrase twice. In other words, the waited and patiently are translations of the same Hebrew word. So it's not a manner of waiting. It's almost as if it's not just how he waits. What David is saying is that he waits for the Lord patiently, but he kind of, it, it almost, it's, it's almost like saying, I wait, wait for the Lord. I, I, I waited, waited for the Lord. And, and so he's actually translating this, or uh, the word that's translated in English is waited patiently, are really the same word. Now, here's what uh, the, the translation of the word, the, it, it has two ideas. One, the root word, the root word that is translated for either wait or patiently means to be, uh, or to bind or twist together, to bind or twist together. Now, when it's translated as patiently, that, that really kind of stands out. But, but here's the other, here's the figurative use of the word. The figurative use of the word means an expectation or an anticipation. So when we deal with, with God and his people, what are we waiting for? Usually waiting begins with a word and or promise from the Lord. A word or promise from the Lord. So if we go back to the root meaning of, of, of the word that's translated as waiting, to be twisted or bound together, here's what that kind of comes out as. To wait for the Lord is to take God's word or promise and have it twisted into our will and into the reality of our thinking. In other words, God, it's the binding of two things together. So waiting for the Lord begins with a word and or promise from the Lord and the one who is waiting wraps their life around. In fact, one writer put it this way. He says that in the Old Testament, um, waiting, the Old Testament saints, waiting, in, in, it, it took in the totality of a person's being. So in other words, there's, they, they wrap themselves. If you imagine yourself like a, take a snake that wraps himself around a, a pole or something. So our waiting, if let's say uh, God's promise is the pole, waiting for him is to wrap ourselves around his promise. To be, or since the, the, the root word really means to bind together, so you take two pieces of, 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 of rope and you bind them together. One part of rope is God's promise and the other part is our will, our mind, and all of our being. 
So we wrap our being around the rope of God's promise. Uh, one way uh, that I think of this is, I've mentioned this before, but a friend of mine a number of years ago, dear friend, and he was a, a pastor, but he was, his wife was diagnosed with uh, a terminal illness, and he asked my wife and I if we would come to him to the hospital for the final, when she had her, her, her final consultation with the doctor. And so we were waiting with him, and we were in the cafeteria, and he came to us, and he told us what the prognosis was, that essentially she, she had a cancer that, was, that, that couldn't be treated, and she was ultimately dying. And, and here's what he said, and, and that brings to mind what, what the writer means when, or what, what the Hebrew word means of waiting patiently. He says, uh, he says you know, I, I trust in the Lord. All of my eggs are in the basket of his word, and, and, and that's all I have. I, I, I can't question him. I can't doubt him. I can't leave him because all of my eggs are in that basket. So whatever he says, I have to go with that. And, and, and so there was a, a period of several months in which we basically watched her decline. But he, was, he says, my hope and all of my eggs are in the basket of God's word. And that's what it means to wait for the Lord. The Lord enters into the life of his saints with a word and or promise and the saint wraps their life around that promise. And so come what may, they are tethered to the word and the promise of God, in which case they are bound together. God's promise and the people to whom he has made the promise are bound together. Then you come to the figurative use of the word because our lives are wrapped around God's promise, there is expectation. Our expectation is that what he has promised, he will deliver. And until he delivers it, we're wrapped around the promise. And so therefore, in, in another way of putting it is that we are bound to whatever God has promised and we are expecting it. This is one of the reasons I think it's important for us to be clear in terms of what God has promised. Uh, using the situation of illness and sickness, uh, we have to be clear of what God has promised. Has he promised that we will be victorious over every sickness that enters into our bodies and therefore we can speak them away? That's not what he's promised. The promise that he has given us for perfect health corresponds to a body that can contain it. The promise, that promise is attached to the man that, the, the, the inward man that is being renewed day by day. It is not attached to the promise, uh, or is not attached, I should say, to the man, the outward man that is failing every day. So we have to be clear on what God has promised, and what God has promised is what we wrap our lives around. So our expectation is what our lives are wrapped around. Now, as it relates to David, there are three things that I want to extract from his words here as it relates to waiting for the Lord. Here's the first thing. We need to be clear on what God has promised because as we wait for the Lord, there are some deceptive distractions for those who are waiting for the Lord. In other words, we can become vulnerable as we wait for what the Lord has promised. So therefore, we must be aware 
of some deceptive distractions and it's deceptive because they are, they are aimed at making us think that it makes sense, but they are distractions from what God himself has actually promised. Look at the way David expresses this in verse 4. In verse 4, he says, um, he says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud to those who go astray after a lie. Now, whether he's talking about one individual or whether he's talking about two particular challenges for the soul that is wrapped around the promise of God and we have yet to see manifestations of it, then there is always someone that has a ready lie for us that will lead us astray. Now, David speaks as a witness to this because he mentions uh, earlier about being in a pit. And one of the experiences that's recorded about David concerning him being in a pit, and we talked about this recently in our Sunday school class, is when David, before he ascended to the throne and he was being pursued by Saul, he took refuge in the temple of the Lord Recorded in 1 Samuel 21, he goes into the temple of the Lord and um, he is given, he asks for showbread. The showbread was a symbol of God's provision for his people while they were in the wilderness. And he asked for the sacred showbread, which was only supposed to be made available to those who are of the priesthood. But yet the priest gives him access to the showbread to feed his men. And then, because he knew he was fleeing from the presence of Saul and he needed protection, he asked if there were any weapons available. And the priest tells him that the only weapon available is the sword that you use to cut off the head of Goliath, which the Lord had allowed to be enshrined in the temple, and he was given that. So he is given physical bread to remind him of God's provisions for his people in the wilderness. He is given the sword, which reminds him of God fighting on behalf of his people. And then he is taken, he, he, he comes up with a brainstorm. Now here he is with the, the sword of the Lord. Here he is with the showbread from the, the altar of the Lord. And he comes up with the brainstorm to help him against the enemy, which is Saul. And he goes before the king of the Philistines. And when he goes before the king of the Philistines, the king of the Philistines says, hey, David wants to come see me? David, who had a reputation, he had already killed one of the the leaders in Goliath. And the king is excited and honored to have a noble enemy in his presence. He wants to know what, what David wants to talk about. He makes all of the preparation for David to come to him, and when he gets in his presence, because David is waiting for the Lord to deliver him, right? He gets into the presence of Achish and Achish, and and all of a sudden he starts spitting and stuttering and playing like he has some kind of uh, a firm, an infirmity, and as if he's a madman. His he he acts like he's a crazy person, and Achish looks at him and says, "Is this David?" 
Is this the mighty man of God? Is this the one that I've heard about? You guys are bringing him to me. Don't we have enough crazy people already walking the streets of, the, of, 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 of Philistia? And we need to have another idiot? Get him out of here. And David flees to the pit of Adullam, and all of his mighty men are with him. And they are looking at him as he has failed in their presence. And so then he writes from that experience the 34th Psalm. And look at the words that come out. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise, instead of spittle, will always be in my mouth. And then he says, later he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, brothers and sisters, while we wait for the Lord to deliver what he has promised, we might find ourselves in situations that are uncomfortable and the distractions that can, or the deceptive distractions are things that seem to make sense, but they are not according to what God himself has promised. David isn't the only one. Isn't that the situation we mentioned a moment ago with Abraham? Abraham, I'm going to bless you. When God made the promise to Abraham, he was already an old man, and his wife was already an old man. And years go by before Sarah conceives of a child. So as the years are passing, here it is that Sarah has access to Hagar, who is her servant. And if her husband fathers a child from the servant, then the, servants, then the child is really the husband's. And maybe that's what God meant. Here's what David says. I waited patiently for the Lord. And in my waiting, he understands, he knows the story of Abraham. And he knows his own experience. And so therefore he knows that as we wait for what God has promised, there are those things that are sent as deceptions that will lead us and distract us away from what God has promised. And we will settle on something that appeases us or something that seems on the outside like it, it must be what God intended. It's kind of like uh, when people, I've, I've heard this over and over again, that they were down on their, their luck and, and, and money was tight and all of a sudden, you go to the store and the person gives you $10 too much in change. And then you assume, well, it must be the will of the Lord. Look at how God answers my prayers. <laughs> Waiting for the Lord can be a tenuous thing. And it can, if we're not careful as we are wrapped around his promises... Because we are expecting certain things. Waiting for the Lord is a vulnerable time when we will assume that this and this is the fulfillment of what God himself has promised. This must be what he meant. As with Sarah, as with Abraham, as with David. This must be what he meant. And so David says in verse 4 that the blessed person is, who, is the one who puts their trust in the Lord and not in lying words. Not in, that, in, the, in the person who's already gone astray. 
And so I've mentioned this before, and I think that's part of what we see in 1 Corinthians, where these unbelieving Gentiles were brought to a saving knowledge, some of them, and some of them were, were married, but their spouse hadn't accepted the faith. And they were coming out to the church meetings, and they you know, struck up some kind of a relationship and then wanted to get rid of their unbelieving spouse. And they probably assuming, well, look at how the Lord put us together. And Paul addresses that. He says, no, no, whatever state you were in, when you came to salvation, stay there. If you were single, stay there. And if you're married, stay there. And even if your spouse is still a pagan and an unbeliever, remain in that state. Let's not allow the external circumstances and the anxieties of the flesh cause us to be deceived about what we're waiting for. Whatever God has for us, it is never, even though, understand, he uses our sin for our good and his glory, but whatever God has for us, it's never on a path that contradicts his word. Whatever his will is, it doesn't contradict his word. God does not bring, he does not call us to be discordant, and he doesn't call us to, to unnecessarily ruffle up stuff. And br- trust me, if what, God, if what we are receiving is, in, is, is illegitimate, then we cannot say it is of the Lord. So the first thing that we see when it comes to waiting patiently for the Lord as we wrap around ourselves around what God has promised and as we expect a full deliverance of what he has promised, we must be aware of the deceptive distractions that are waiting for us because we ourselves are vulnerable as we wait for fuller disclosure of God's purpose. We've seen it time and again when people deal with serious illness and they become desperate. And so we cannot allow the desperation of the moment to distract us from the integrity of God's word and the content of God's promise. Here's the second thing we learn from saints who wait. David understood that there are options out there that look the right way, but they are not. But secondly, we understand that waiting provides opportunities for deeper discoveries of the God whose promise we are waiting for. Waiting allows us opportunities for deeper discoveries of the God whose promise we are waiting for. Now, to flesh this out, I think it would be helpful to look at verse 2 and juxtapose it along verse 5, especially 5a. In verse 2, David says, um, he, he, um, that he drew me up from the pit of destruction. Now, whether or not this is the pit of Adullam that he fled to after he left the presence of Achish, we're not sure. But understand, waiting for the Lord does not mean that we are not going to experience pits. Now, David is in a pit because if it's a a dullum, he finds himself in a pit because he got anxious and is waiting. And he tried to do things his way and then ended up fleeing and taking cover in in a cave or in, in, in a pit. On the other hand, we know that Joseph was thrown in a pit. And God allowed that pit experience 
as a means of transferring David to the, or, or Joseph to the place that he wanted him to be when he wanted him to be there. So pit experiences don't mean that God has negated his promise. Just because we find ourselves in a pit, just because we find ourselves where he says, the miry clay. I always liked that as a child, hearing them talk about, he lifted my feet out of the miry clay. Because in California, you know, I didn't know much about miry clay. But, but in Arkansas, they did have some miry clay. And so what, what David says is the Lord does, he delivered me, he heard me from the pit. So the God who delivers or the God who makes the promise does not shut himself off just because we're in the pit. Whether we are in the pit because of our own choosing as in the case of David or whether we are in a pit because of the actions of others as in the case of Joseph. Either way, God hears the prayers of his saints even when they have pit sort of experience. But notice also what he says in verse 2 that he... Uh, drew me out from the, the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Now juxtapose that with verse 5a. In verse 5a, he says, um, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. You have multiplied. Now here's my conjecture on this that we discover something about the affection that God has for us. We discover something about the faithfulness of God and the availability of God as much as in the pit as we do in the sanctuary. In other words, there are some things that we learn about God and his faithfulness, especially look at David again in the experience of him going to a pit because he tried to, he tried to depend on his own strength and his own wit and he was driven from the presence of Achish into a pit and how did he get there? Because of his own doing. But what did he discover? That God is just as faithful in hearing him when he's in a pit because of his own devices as he is when he is kneeling before his own bed and prays to the Lord. There are new discoveries of God, the God who promises when we wait for him, even when we've made a mess of things. We discover, really discover that God is not like us. We discover that. When we mess up and, 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 and we, you know how we deal with each other, our children and sometimes family members, they mess up and then we never let them live it down. I have sometimes, I have family members that have messed up and they, they're trying to connect with the other, another family member and they say, well, can you have so-and-so, can you give me so-and-so's phone number? No, I can't do that. Because there's some, issue that, there's some issues y'all need to work out. And because I realize that the so-and-so whose number you want, they may not want to hear from you. And brothers and sisters, sometimes we think that God is like that. And that's why we are so quick to make rash promises that we can't keep when we've messed up in order to try to get God to listen to us. But here's what we discover when we wait. When our feet is in clay, 
because we took the wrong path. When we find ourselves in a pit because we depended on our own wisdom. When we find ourselves messed up and torn up and nobody else wants to listen to us, here's what David discovers. He said, I cried to him. You know what he did? He heard me. I know what people mean when they say, well, our sin, it may not, it may not separate your, it may not keep you from heaven, but it separates you. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't separate you from God, but it breaks fellowship. No, that's the beauty and the scandal of grace. Our sin, no matter how egregious they are, neither separate us from God nor break fellowship with him. Now I can remember having my mother having to come pick me up from, you know, from having messed up. And when she had to come pick me up, it was a chilly ride. But I was still her only son. And she still loved me. And what we have to realize as we wait for the Lord and sometimes act out of impulse, and we act out of our own flesh, and we do those things that are displeasing to God when we followed our own way. You don't have to sin. Like, you remember Jacob and, and Esau, when Jacob was trying to get back at Esau, and he's sending all kind of gifts trying to test the waters first? No, we don't have to test the waters with God. Here's what David realizes, that God is Gracious, not just in saving sinners, but God is gracious in restoring the sinners that he saved that messed up again. He doesn't have to get himself together in order for the Lord to receive him and to hear him. He's not like us. He's, he's not holding grudges. We can call on him. And so when you mess up, whether, what, however bad it is, you can call on him. You can pray to him. You can call upon his name. Because he is a loving, gracious God who has given you a promise to wrap your life around. And when we are waiting for the fulfillment of that promise, we get antsy and anxious. And sometimes we get deceived in a more, in what we think is a more excellent way. And when we find out it's not a more excellent way, we find our, our feet stuck in, in clay and we find ourselves at the bottom of a pit. And here's what we discover about the God that we serve. David knew that God was might and strength for him. He knew that he was the strength to overcome a bear for him. He knew that David, that God was the strength that would enable him to defeat a lion. And he knew that God was strength for him even to go up against an eight-foot giant. But David never had the experience of being shameful in a pit. And here's what he discovers, that the God who has the power to give him victory over a bear, a lion, and a giant is loving and gracious and tender for saints who have found themselves in a pit. 
Isn't that, that's what it means to wait. We discover. We say we know he's this. We know he's a way maker. We know that he is, he's a way out. We know all of that. But it's not until we mess up that we find that he is a ready and willing God who hears us in our time of trouble. And here's what he doesn't say. I told you. No, no, he, there is no I told you so. No, he doesn't say, well, if you had done so. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't, well, if you had listened. No, no, no. David said, he heard me. He heard me and, and, and he delivered me. And then he says, and he gave me a song. I love that. He, he gave me a song. I didn't, just, I didn't just come up with it. He gave me a song in the midst of my mess up. But here's the third and final thing that we discover in waiting on the Lord. Not only do we find that waiting as we wait for the fulfillment and the, and the, the, the manifestation of what he's promised as we expect it, we know that we can be easily deceived and there are things that are waiting to distort us and lead us in a path of destruction, self-pity or sinful recklessness, whatever it is. There's something that's waiting to lead us astray, but we discover in that situation depths of God's grace and love that we could not conceive. But here's the third thing that we discover. Waiting for the Lord provides, or I should say deeper discoveries of God in waiting, produces new dimensions of, of devotion and praise. You see, as we wait and we discover new depths of God in the way David expresses it, he says, you've manifest yourself, you, you've multiplied yourself to me. Boy, you showed me things about yourself that I didn't realize. But then we see that these deeper discoveries of God produce new dimensions of devotion and praise in verse 3 and then in the B part of verse 5. In verse 3, he says, he put a new song in my mouth. Now, again, if Adullam, the cage of Adullam, is the point of reference here, then either in that experience or from that experience, David wrote Psalms 34, where he discovers, he makes a commitment to the Lord, but he says that he understands now that the angel of the Lord is camped around about those that love him. So, in other words, he discovered he acted a fool and didn't need to. So he discovers this. And then here's the other thing in verse 3. He then goes on to say, he says, bless, or he says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And then look at the B part of verse 5. The B part of verse 5 and the, the A part of verse 5, he says that you have multiplied, O, uh, God, o Lord, my God, uh, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. But then in the B part of that, he says, I will proclaim all of this. In other words, all of the new depths of your grace and of your love, I'm not going to keep it to myself. I will declare this. And that's why he says in Psalms 34, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall forever be in my mouth. As God reveals more of his love towards us, 
in our times of trial, in our times of weakness, in our times of failure, then it becomes the substance of our worship and our devotion. The new song that David sings is not necessarily a new composition, but it's with new zeal. It's with new insight. It's with new experiences of his grace. And so therefore, David says, all that you, he says, you have, and and again, I like the way verse 5 ends. He says, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. Therefore, I will proclaim and I will tell them, yet they are more than can be told. Now, here's what I find interesting. Most of us are familiar with the song, Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you to see what the Lord has done. David is not counting his blessings, but he is taking inventory of the depths of God's attributes and of God's faithfulness. And he says, what, even as you have revealed these things to me, it's more than anyone can tell. You, in other words, you've blown my circuits. And here's what David has discovered, is that even as he waits for the Lord, he finds himself not in possession, full possession of those things that he's anticipating but what he's done, he says, I've, in, in essence, I've wrapped myself around your promise and I expect you to deliver everything that you did promise. Waiting for the Lord is not a time of idleness. Rather, it is movement from one thing or it's a movement from something to something more. And I pray that as we wait for fuller revelation on this side of heaven of the fullness of God's grace in the person of Christ, that we all that we have experienced and received, all that God has revealed of himself would cause us to wait even more diligently with greater expectation of that which we cannot conceive of in our natural minds. Wait for the Lord, and he will hear your prayers. Wait for him. We don't have to get antsy. We will get anxious, but just wait for the Lord. And as we wait for the fuller manifestation of what he has promised, what we discover is that there is more to God than I possibly realize. You know, I, 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 I love my dad and... I thought I knew all of my parents. I grew up, or both of my parents, I thought I knew everything about them when I was a little boy. I I wanted to know about their grandparents. I wanted to know their favorite subjects in school. And I remember one time, as an adult, my son was already born. And I'm thinking, I already knew everything about my parents. I knew my dad's real birthday or the real year in which he was born and the year that's on record that he was born. I knew all of that. I knew, you know, I knew as much as I thought I could know. And one day, In casual conversation, he just says that it was his desire to be an actor. 
And that just blew my circuit. I had no place for that. I knew him as a hunter. I knew him as a mechanic. I knew him as as all of these things. I never conceived my father. He was really kind of a shy kind of person. And I never conceived that it was his desire to be an actor. I said, wait a minute, where'd this come from? But you know where I discovered that? It's from talking to him. And here's what we discover. We know that God is a way maker. We know that he's the creator and the sustainer of all things. But while we wait for him, as we engage him, we discover things about God that literally blows our mind. And what David says is, Lord, you revealed some stuff to me about you that I had no idea. And I wish I could say it. But mouth, I I can't even put it all into words. Waiting, waiting is a movement from something to something more. And as long as we are on this side of heaven, we're waiting. And I pray that our waiting is not distracted, but I pray that it leads us to a deeper knowledge of God. And that deeper knowledge leads to a deeper devotion to the God whose promises that our lives are wrapped around. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for the reminder that you have called us not because of us, but in spite of us. You have covered us by your grace. You have given us the word of, your word of promise, and you've given us your Son, in whom is the amen and the yes to everything that you have promised. As we wait in these bodies that are fleeting and failing for the fuller realization of everything that you have promised for us, we pray that our hearts would not grow anxious, but rather we would wrap our lives around what you have said and stand firmly in it, waiting as we move from one aspect of what you have revealed to more of an understanding of it. Build us up in your word. Build us up in your grace. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be power, majesty, and dominion both now and forever. Let all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.